to another episode of Zoom Town, a podcast about the new normal in Missoula, Montana. Maybe that's how I can start off our, our episodes now, Tim. Um, I'm the host, Travis Mateer. My co-host, Tim Adams, is with us. Hello. And we took a little week off for traveling. The 4th of July show our proper respect for America, blowing up stuff. Um, how was your 4th of July, Tim? Uh, it was all right. I've been sick most of the last week. I came down with something on the, the variant. Yeah, is the, it the variant? Did you get tested for variants? I got tested for COVID and I came back negative. So, um, and that was apparently you can go pay like 25 bucks at Walgreens and get a COVID test if cool. anyone's really curious. But it only tests if you currently have it. It's not the antibody test. Oh, I, you know, I, I've stayed away from, from some of that stuff. Um, what, what we were going to do today is actually have a timer going. So for 20 minutes, we're just going to kind of talk about the social stuff at the beginning. Um, I do want to give a heads up on what we'll be getting into for the rest of the time because we've, you know, been away for a bit. And so we have a lot of stuff to discuss here. July 13th is the date. Um, it's about 1130 AM. We're in downtown Missoula, Montana. Uh, and we're going to be talking about bears at some point. So the danger of bears, we've had some bear incidents, and we're going to be talking about bears, safety, you know, it's actually more complicated than, than you might think. Um, I also want to provide an update on the incident command team, which has been activated by our city and county leadership to address homelessness. Uh, we had a um, sort of a gentrification activist, uh, Brandon Bryant, um, also a whistleblower veteran. Uh, he was acquitted of felony intimidation charges. We'll mention some of that. Windows. We're going to talk about windows. Let's do it. I started telling you the story, but then I, I, I withheld telling you the details of our Missoula window situation. Um, but we also had a Kalispell window incident, which we're, we'll get into. It has to do with the pride flag. Very serious. And then a gentrification update, I think, is what I wrote down. So we'll see what we can actually get to. Um, but the timer is ticking for us to talk socially about the things that you do. Um, now that we're we're actually allowed to go and travel a bit, you know, I took my family to Isn't to it Washington. Strange though, because think about like February, March, when we heard from Biden that by July fourth, if we hit seventy percent vaccination, then we would be allowed for small gatherings. And so it's really weird to me that on the fourth of July, the White House held like a thousand person event on the lawn with like no masks and. Oh. I don't know. We didn't hit the goal. Where is Grandpa Joe with the stick to hit us? He wanted to have a party instead. You know, like one of the glorious things about being able to um, have to step into different roles, like as a parent, my focus is, okay, the kids need to get out and have have a, a traveling experience. You know, they, they were really excited about what we were supposed to do last June, which was go to the area we actually went to this year. So we went to the Olympic Peninsula. Um, we stayed at Port Angeles, went to Port Townsend, drove around, went to ocean beaches. You know, it was a lot of fun. But we were supposed to do that last year and had to cancel all that, obviously. Um, Washington was the place where the dreaded COVID first appeared, right? Wasn't it Washington State? 
where the, where the the nursing homes I think was where where the dreaded COVID first made its uh, its state stateside appearance. I think it was. Um, fact check me, but it was interesting because you know we're going to tourist places. Um, you know, I didn't see a lot of people outside wearing masks, but there were a few establishments that got a little frustrated that I walked in just thinking that I didn't have to wear a mask and I did not spend any money in those places, but. Um, one of the things that's very obvious, and there's questions about what the labor shortage actually is. I've seen on Twitter some uh, local Montana journalists mocking the idea um, that this labor shortage is is anything but businessmen incompetence. Like all these yeah. businesses are just stupid and they're not doing the things that they need to do to... Regardless of what's happening, restaurants are not readily available in the places that you might hope when you have hungry kids. I mean, this might sound like one of those like first world problems, right? But when you have hungry kids and you're, you're, you've been in a car for 10 hours, this is a fucking crisis can, yeah. can, can emerge in terms of your mental health, um, the safety of your children. If you're driving in a car and you're having to scream at them to shut up and, and, you know, in the defense of my kids, they were actually great. We, 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 got to the the place we were staying in a 12 hour car ride so yeah it seems it to be the new normal i like that phrase because you know i'm approaching my 40th birthday and i'm sort oh. of trying to reflect on the past 20 years and how much you know i, I turned 18 and voted you know the couple of years before 9 11 and yep. so a lot of things that i remember uh are, are very different they are now even you know when i got a cell phone i was probably almost 30 years old before i had a cell phone uh and yet it's pretty much expected little kids from like two, three, four years old all now have access and completely grow up with that technology. Going back to the yeah. worker shortage, um, you know, like my nephew, he's 1920. He just ended up getting a job uh, here at Allcom out in Bonner. Um, and they're just screaming for people, anyone who can do like manual labor. And, you know, he, because of family situation. Do, do, you, do he, you have to, do you have to piss clean out there though? Is that, I mean, a lot of times that can be a barrier and, and, oh. Well, yeah, well, let me say, uh, because this was the issue is he's a young guy, you know, out in the woods, up in Sealy, they go drink, they go smoke pot with their friends. And uh, especially now it's so much more available and, and legalized even for recreation, uh, that, that would be a barrier. But from what I was told, because uh, that was the other thing was he didn't have a high school diploma. And they're like, we don't care. Half the guys here right. don't have a high school diploma. We don't care if you can piss clean. Would you show up for work every day and do the job? They don't care about anything else. Right. And hey, to me, that's the way it should be. It's right, not your absolutely. business what I do when I go home at night, how I want to relax or, you know, want to kick the, well, well do, do the dogs, work. It's always, it's always the litigation that happens potentially when there's on-site injuries and, and things that, you know, the, the lawyers and the insurance companies come and fuck it all up for us libertarian, maybe leaning, you know, get government out kind of, kind of situation. But, you know, Washington state um, has more government services. They have, much bigger populations. Um, but when you get out to the rural parts, I mean, it's interesting to think about Washington state because it mirrors Montana in a lot of ways. You've got the more um, liberal parts on the, the more green Western part of the state. And then the Eastern part of the state is more rural um, food production, you know, so um, agrarian or what's that word? Yeah, Eastern and Western Washington are almost sort of like night and day. In Different a lot of worlds. ways, Western Washington is very much like Western Montana. I, yeah. You know, you think about Kurt Cobain growing up in some little logging town, being like shit on by rednecks, and the, what that turns him into as far as like an artist and musician. Yeah. I think it's a similar story to a lot of people I've met in Western Montana where, 
you either up to this like lumberjack masculinity or you sort of reject it and move away or, or do your own thing. But um, the other thing is I've had a lot of family live over in Spokane, and that's part of the yeah. issue is, you know, the, the Republican parts of Washington really don't have any con- control in the state legislature. So when they pass these really restrictive environmental laws, uh, like what kind of detergent you can get for your for your dishes or something, um, it, the people in Spokane would just drive over to Coeur d'Alene and yeah. buy the things they can't <laughs> buy in Washington State. So, I mean, it's nice they're so close, but that's I think why it's a we good need example. a strong centralized government to make sure all of the products that you cannot buy are withheld from the population. Yeah, it's very Hunger Games. <laughs> What? District Nine, have you been getting unapproved laundry detergent? It is. That is that is, the, is this? That's the direction where we're going as we all self-select in the locations we now want to be because the other other side scares us and I like have want us to die or something. Two long-term data projects I really want to work on, and one of them is actually comparing like the last three uh, presidential elections in Montana because Ooh. you think about 2012 when Steve Bullock comes in and Democrats win four out of the five statewide seats. And before that, I think they held maybe five of five. And then you go to 2016, they lose everything but one. Only the superintendent of public instruction right. was still in Democrats' hands. And now they've lost everything. I mean, they still have the backbench of the of the Supreme Court willing to give them some power as far as the redistricting goes. But uh, I really want to see, you know, Democrats, it's always been kind of a purple state here. And so they've been able to leverage the college students, leverage the redistricting to sort of give them enough power to still be competitive. But if you've had three straight cycles, especially accelerated by COVID, of conservative people moving away from California or Western Washington or Oregon, wherever these laws are, to here, yeah. um, it may be a fact demographically that it may be very hard for Democrats to win statewide elections here if you've had you know, 10, 20,000 Republicans move here and scatter across the state. So that's one data project I want to do. The other one pertains to the city elections because we have as far as Jacob Elder and Engen are concerned, a very long list of donors for those guys now. Oh, yeah. And yep. I actually wanted to superimpose the list of donors on a map of Missoula and see, like, is it the South Hills that keeps John Engen in, in you know, it, where uh, is each part yeah. of Missoula donating to? You know, we know different parts of the city uh, have different socioeconomic strata. And so I'd like to know, is it the rich white liberals around the university in the South Hills who are giving to his campaign? How about Jacob? Like, who has Jacob been able to convince to give to his campaign, and does it differ? Yeah. Maybe there's overlap. Who knows? It, projects that I'm going to try and tackle. I thought some of the, the data you wanted to look at might relate to climate change, since you kind of, you know, pre-recording wanted to, to do some some climate change oh, ranting. that's such a long rant. But but sticking sticking <laughs> sticking with the, the traveling um, sort of theme to, to start us off today, it was really odd to be waking up with cold air and wet air and, and being outside of the heat dome. Um, the heat dome is one of these phrases. I, I get very suspicious when we have new phrases and new language and words being thrown at weather events um, because it just it it seems like they're 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 more than not is an agenda that's being served by again creating fear in a lot of ways to then push the population and in terms of behavior or actions in certain directions that ultimately benefit, you know, what I would say would be the, like the, the top tier. But um, as we're traveling, it's just, it's just really nice to have, I hate to say it, it's nice to have technology to keep the kids occupied. It's, um, you know, pretty nice to have cars that are uh, comfortable to be in. Um, one of the things I've been thinking, though, as I've been back and walking around is in terms of keeping people safe, right, because we're going to be talking about bears here real soon. In terms of safety, cars are scaring the shit out of me. People, it's not the cars, it's the people driving, driving the cars. Yeah. But 
we be, we came very close to dying twice on on the road. So the first time, um, well, I, that maybe sounds a little too dramatic, but the the first time going out to Washington, we were on a one lane highway, and the car in front of us was passing an RV. So it was a Tacoma truck. They were passing an RV, misjudged the oncoming car, and because it was a two lane highway. Yeah, and so instead of our no, I mean, it's a one lane, one way that direction, one way the other direction. And so the Tacoma, to avoid a head-on collision, moved further to the left onto the shoulder, right? And so the car coming at the truck had to basically um, go between the RV in the normal lane and the toy, the Tacoma truck on the shoulder, yeah. right? And if this oncoming car would have overcorrected and come into our lane, we would have had a head-on collision, and it would have been bad. And then on the way back, we were near the Columbia Gorge um, crossing the bridge that goes over the, the Columbia River. And within, I mean, it must have been maybe seconds or a minute, there had been an accident. And I mean, first responders obviously hadn't even responded yet. And I was afraid the kids were going to see some grizzly scene on the side of the road, like Jim Morrison, mm-hmm. Indians dead on Don's highway bleeding. But um, there was one person that looked pretty somewhat seriously injured. There wasn't blood, but it just highlights the fact that when you think about safety, you know, the most dangerous thing most people do in their daily lives is get in a car and, yeah. and drive. Um, or if you're a pedestrian, like many of the people that don't have homes um, in the Pavarello Center area, you're going to die because you're a fucking idiot walking into traffic in the middle of the night. I came very close last night to hitting two people well, wasn't there a that were walking across the street. Week? Like four yes. in the morning? Um, and West Broadway, I think it was, or by Flynn. West Broadway, and, and apparently from the, the Zoom meeting I was on earlier today, someone with, with some knowledge about that said that the person that was killed on West Broadway was a transient. There were calls to 911 um, that he was very intoxicated in like walking into, into in that area, and obviously first responders couldn't get to him in time, and he was... The, the sad thing is he was killed by a local Missoula woman, I think. I think that's what the person said. So, so some person had their life very much changed for the worse when they um, hit another human being, and that human being is now dead. Yeah. Um, you know, this is this is part of what what happens in tourist towns. You know, in the summertime, you get a lot of traffic, you get a lot of craziness. On the homeless front, you get a lot of the seasonal transient population that that do stay pretty mobile and go through different towns, especially the ones with a lot of generous, you know, students you know, and young people that throw money at them at night. There's, as far as safety is concerned, if your only objective was safety, then, you know, mandating self-driving cars would probably be a great idea. I mean, even just driving up here from Stevensville, right. I had at least two people I saw in my rear view mirror just kept going off the road into the rumble strip. And one person did it over and over. And I'm like, is this person having a medical emergency? Are they because they were impatient? Were they impatient? I don't know. I, it's It's hard to tell from, you know, a quarter mile away, but could I was be just, texting, could be alcohol, could be any yeah, number I see of factors. a lot of people in town. Like they don't see the lights change because they're looking down at their phones. You can see where people's eyes are. This really bugs me too about everyone tinting their windows. It's yeah. like I can't see if you're paying attention when your window is so dark that I can't even see through it. And it's like, how does that help you as a driver? Maybe it's less tinted from your side. I, I chased an RV down on my bike because they blew through a red light um, on Fourth Street on the Hip Strip you know, giant RV and it had been red for seconds, you know, and I, I watched it all happen. And then I chased him down, you know, and after we left a couple of weeks ago, I remember this now because I stopped at the Albertsons at Trempers and there was a Texas plated RV 
with this huge like husky dog in it and the dog was like howling it was like 100 degrees oh. that day and i'm like what i'm trying to go talk to the person in the store be like can you make an announcement tell them their dog's howling it's like stuck in this car uh, I call the Missoula non-emergent number and they just put me on the hold. I literally sat on hold yeah. calling the police about this dog until the people just came out. I was like, I'm not going to get in a fight with them. But I was like, you know, That's we don't really treat our animals here. I, I know you're probably not from here. but I, I Well, great segue um, to bears. So something that Montana has now gotten some national attention for is the, the bear attack in Ovando, Ovando, yeah. Ovando. Um, you corrected the direction that I was um, relating where Ovando is to Missoula. So Ovando is um, east. Yeah. Would, it, would it be northeast? No. Does north have nothing to do with where Ovando is? Am I just no? Polson would be north. Highway 200 is east-west highway. Oh man, I'm just an idiot. Then I will have to correct that because I don't want to be putting misinformation out have you on been my there? blog. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, uh, going up. I'm not saying that to be facetious. I'm just curious. No, the Blackfoot. I love the Blackfoot. I just, for some reason, in my mind, the going to Bonner and then going up. I, in my mind, I'm going up the road. So I, I don't always orient to north, yeah, south, east, west. Yeah, once it stops west. following the Blackfoot, uh, it does go east. But you're, you're right. Once it's following the river, it is going kind of northeast. So the, the tragedy that happened that's now getting some headlines um, is part... The person that was attacked and killed lethally is a 65-year-old woman. Um, Leah is her first name. I, let's see. And I had, the, had it in front of me. But... Um, she was part of a group that was biking around and this has become really popular. It seems like for older, older adults, yeah. um, is they get on the, the pedal bikes and they go, um, long distance biking. So like these bikes are fully packed with their camping gear. They camp different places. And Ovando has been one of these really popular spots for people on those kind of circuits. And unfortunately, yeah, it's a bit, the, when you establish something like that, you also are sort of establishing an economic base for these little towns like that. And that's a lot. I mean, if you're going to yes, be not so environmentalist where you can't do any sort of timber or extraction jobs, then they do have to look for the tourist dollars to stay in business, these little towns. Yeah, no, economies need something. And and for some of these smaller towns, the, the tourist biking circuit actually is bringing people with you know retired disposable income that they're able to spend and and so it's unfortunate that what happened um is this this attack it's a lethal attack by a grizzly bear the offending bear has been since identified and executed summarily by fish wildlife and parks can i ask you something mm -hmm. do you think they should kill the animals because I, to me the animal is just doing what it would do in nature which is it has a food shortage because of the extreme heat we're experiencing currently yeah um and it is getting aggressive. I guess if that's the thing, if an animal is aggressive towards humans, you kill it. But Well, th th that's a very good question, and it relates to the second story about bears because um, it's really interesting. I, I was reminded of this incident um, recently that was reported by NBC Montana because the, the woman who reported this and ultimately generated the story for NBC Montana was on the Zoom call today. So her name is Shireen, and she's she's a, a mental health advocate, um, and was reluctant to actually even have it become a media story because she didn't want it to negatively depict, you know, the homeless population. So, of course, I haven't explained what actually happened. So people are probably wondering what, what yeah, I'm talking about. Yeah, question, but explain what happened. So the according to the reports, um, this woman was out uh, recreating. So she was off the clock, wasn't on on work time, but was out recreating um, down. I believe it was the Kim Williams Trail. I'll have to double check that, but uh, she ran across a bear rummaging in someone's tent. Okay, was, I know what you're talking about. Was concerned about that. 
called Fish, I think she called 911, was directed to Fish Wildlife Parks, did not get any kind of response reaction. I think finally uh, some, a police officer did respond, um, but she was on the trail then warning other people there's a bear in the area. Um, she went back, I believe, and I hope I'm not retelling this inaccurately, but um, I mean, she made the calls. She made the follow-up calls. She reached out to um, state reps, you know. She, White ladies have so much free time on their hands, don't they? I commend her for doing this because <laughs> it's some of the stuff that I've been doing. You follow up and you and you try and see who's accountable, you know. And the more people that come at the cynical realizations that I've come to years ago, yeah. um, I, I welcome the company um, because, you know, she was doing sort of her due diligence. And yeah, ooh, that's our that's our timer. Well, you know what? It's okay because we're already on to the bear story. So, yeah. so we're 20 minutes in. Um, but it was interesting to have her on this Zoom call kind of talking and asking about what can be done because the Zoom call is part of this um, you know, public Zoom meeting that, that came out of the Facebook group Let's Improve Reserve Street and the, the cleanup collaborative efforts at Reserve Street that I've been involved in. So the group is a chance to get people in our community having conversations about what can and can't happen and, you know, brainstorming ideas. And and let's put two and two together as far as what we've been talking about, like every week. Uh, We just talked about the danger of sleeping outside in a tent, which is because of the wildlife and because of the the extreme heat we're experiencing. We're having a lot more interaction with wildlife who are coming down for the hills looking for food. And then on the other half, we have an entire uh, transitional outdoor space at the south end of town uh, where people are out sleeping in tents. So doesn't that inherently, I'm, I understand if you're going to go set up a tent under Reserve Street Bridge, you're going to be uh, taking a certain amount of risk by sleeping outdoors and sleeping in wildlife. However, this was not uh, a, a choice people were making. This was a government set up space, government managed space, and it is in ex- what you would consider right now to be a very risky environment. And that's not just because of the people trying to murder you with an axe. It's because of the people, tr- the bears trying to murder you because they're hungry. Yeah, and, and bears don't discriminate between homeless encampments, whether formal or informal, or you know, boomer age recreationalists that are out biking around America, um, having a great old time. You know, as they continue, uh, I don't know, helping America degrade itself. I don't want to get bashing on the boomers, but um, the incident command team, so the, and this relates then to our next story, the incident command team, um, as we've been talking about in episodes past, is this this new structure being brought in by Mayor Engen and the county commissioners to address homelessness in, in Missoula County. So the Adrian Beck is the kind of point of contact for the incident command team. So she was part of the Office of Emergency Management for Missoula County. Um, she was on the Zoom meeting a couple weeks ago that, that I'm involved in, and I didn't get a chance to stay on that meeting. But since then, I've looked into what can be done with incident command teams. We've talked a little bit about what was going on in San Diego, where they had uh, a library director and city manager as the people at the top of the command structure. And so one of the things that seems to be happening is that there could be a dilution of what an incident command team is. It's, it's meant to address natural disasters, which are pretty well-defined um, not these societal issues of um, homelessness, which comes with addiction and mental health issues. So we do have new information now. Um, there's been several sites that have been um, potentially identified for some different homeless populations. And it's very interesting. I mean, so the Sleepy Inn is one of the, the sites, and so the city already owns that. They use the emergency of COVID to justify buying the Sleepy Inn, so that's one option. 
One of the options is a parcel of land. I haven't been able to physically figure out where it is, but it's off of Clark Fork Lane. And this is significant because that is right by the Walmart off of Mullen and Reserve, right by the Reserve Street Camps. Yeah. So there is some area, I believe it's city owned by the Poplars. There's all those Poplars that they've planted um, as part of this pilot program to help manage wastewater. Kind of fascinating in and of itself, but somewhere in that area, there's going to be an official space for uh, relocating the reserve street inhabitants. That's my understanding. What I did yesterday, because I feel like I'm playing catch up, you know, come back from a, a nice little vacation. And I'm like, ah, man, there's like locations that have been selected. And, you know, I've been telling the people out at reserve street when I hear information, I'm going to go and, and tell them about it. So um, yesterday I went out and I started with businesses right along Clark Fork, uh, Clark Fork Lane, talked to several businesses. They had no idea, no clue. No one's talked to them. No one's reached out to them. So I'm leaving my name and phone number uh, as a contact for them as they start hearing about this. Also went to the pawn shop, gave him an update. Um, love talking to the pawn shop guy. It's, it's nice to have an ongoing dialogue with people that are directly impacted by the failure of our leaders. And then I went and told one of the guys at, at the, the easiest to access camp. And really, when you tell one person the word of mouth, you know, the way information kind of travels amongst that population. Um, so that, that, that idea that there is some idea, locations being, being looked at and relocation then is imminent. It's more imminent now if they have sites located than it was a couple months ago. So I guess that, that is part Isn't it of weird. We have so many spaces in Missoula that are basically not utilized at all, but we have nowhere to put these guys. Mm -hmm. Cause I was having, I guess that's a great point. I, I try Thank to engage with the left a little bit on Twitter when I can. Um, I'm sorry. Mostly, <laughs> sorry. You try. Uh, no, yeah, you, you try. Well, the point was, you know, you have in the middle of town a huge uh, horse racing track and the fairgrounds and this space gets utilized maybe once a year in the summer. I understand they do winter activities there. They put up the, the ice rink. And Isn't such. that where they want to have um, housing for butterflies and other insects? Well, it's, it's just between like Fort Missoula, where we have a history of housing people, ha ha, uh, between uh -huh. the fairgrounds, between, you know, these dorms at U of M. We seem to have a lot of spaces in the city where people could live if someone had the gumption to like follow it through. There's also the empty library. So that's often been a location yeah. that's been mentioned because the brand new library right next door is open. And so you've got this giant space that's sitting empty. Well, and they want to buy that federal building that's downtown, which of course is going to empty up some other office space. At the what about the Red Lion? Does does the Red Lion rent out their rooms? I mean, that place has always been kind of a question mark in my mind. It's, it's no, a it's weird a red place. Lion? Poor Red Lion. I, they're a nice hotel, actually. I, <laughs> I just think they're in a crummy location. Yeah. I, I, what are you supposed to do when you like live somewhere and you know a problem gl grows up around you? What? I mean, because there is actually, because there's also that little restaurant space in the Red Lion, and you know, for, for since I'm growing up as a teenager, there's been a restaurant in there. And the last one I saw was many years ago. I think there was like a Asian or Chinese place in there, but it's been vacant for so long. Well, exactly. And, and I mean, there's plenty of other vacant spots. There's there are locations, and it's it's very interesting that we are at this point. It's a political season. Um, we have this incident command team that you know seems to be getting tasked with this major major effort. I keep on going to the Missoula County website. I can't find much information on the structure. Um, I've reached out to Partnership Health Center because um, they are involved on the treatment side with some of this. They refer me back to Adrian Beck at the um, at the Office of Emergency Management. Um, Adrian and I have been playing phone tag a, a little bit because I'm I'm interested 
in, you know, if there's any federal resources being brought in. Um, I have a, a friend, a neighbor that I used to live next door to that's in that firefighting world. And so I reached out to him and he's like, yeah, there's no federal sources being tapped at this point. Um, another thing I wonder, the high intensity drug trafficking area. I'm curious about that. That is a structure that already already exists to deal with some of the, the drug trafficking problems. I suspect there are some drug trafficking issues that go on at these encampments. I have some specific information I'm hoping to talk to someone about, you know, and so, you know, I want to be able to be of service in some way and, and help address this area because what has happened in this area we've talked about in, in past episodes, it's not, it's not good, but I'm very skeptical on what this incident command team um, is able to do because we are, are really in a crisis triage when it comes to what's happening. Did you hear about the the case manager for Winds of Change that had the knife? Yeah, we talked oh, about that. We did talk about that. Okay. Um, happening right outside of um, Montana Glass, which is uh, the business where Sean Knopp, the, one of our mayoral candidates, works. Um, another thing that I wanted to bring up, um, do you have anything else on like on that front? We can, we can no. shift out of the homelessness we can, a bit. No, we could talk about that forever. Well, you know, homelessness is is directly related to housing and housing is related to gentrification. And that conversation before the pandemic was really hitting this sort of fever pitch um, at the beginning of the year. So we're looking at, you know, January, February 2020. Well, OK. And, and one thing that I've sort of complained about a lot is the city's willingness to build parks ad nauseum uh, and, and borrow money to get parks and all the open space stuff. Um, what I find kind of interesting as I've thought about it more is in a way this whole open space thing is also uh, a way that the city has been sort of peripherally dealing with the housing issue because where do people go when they're unhoused? They usually go to public spaces. They're not going to like a private yeah. person's house. They're going to the courthouse lawn or to you know the, the Reserve Street Bridge or they're going to parks. They're going to outdoor spaces where they can't be like kicked away from. Right. And so it it's it's hard you know if we had the same sort of climate year round this would make sense and i think it would probably make the problem worse but we have the the foresight and the sort of disadvantage of having a winter season where we still have to deal with these issues yeah and it seems like we don't have really plan for that well you know that those those kind of points were being made by by the activists that and and the the critics that were bringing attention to tax increment financing so you know, starting October 2019, when it was announced $16 million in tax increment financing was going to go to Nick Chakota and the effort to build the drift, this giant event center, condo, yeah. complex, parking infrastructure, all of this. Um, I mean, that really sparked a, a situation in which people in this community were, were making those comparisons. You know, oh, you want to well, use public money for, for all the nice, pretty things. Um, meanwhile, you know, the, the parks can't be home for the homeless population year round because they do tend to die in the wintertime and sub subarctic temperature you know, drops. But um, what happened then during that conversation and what I wanted to mention with this, um, this quick update is that passions were, were pretty high at that point um, as things were culminating um, January and February. And what ended up happening, I mean, I think I was actually making public comment at the meeting where uh, veteran Brandon Bryant um, made some very impassioned points. Um, part of the, the point that he was making included a, a stick-like uh, weapon, you know, where he was saying this can be a tool or it can be used to harm and kill people. And um, you know, he made he made people feel uncomfortable, including city council members. 
What really kicked it off is a edited version of a video that he recorded where he said even more explicitly threatening things, um, which I certainly wouldn't condone. I don't like when people make threatening things, but I also don't think they should face felony charges. And what ended up happening is a third party took an edited version of a video that Brandon Bryant admitted to recording and uploading on YouTube. And this edited version of the video was sent via third party to city council members. That became what I saw as an opportunity to, uh, to make an example out of this veteran who more than likely needs some, some help and services himself. Um, but was instead uh, facing felony charges that would have put him in prison if convicted for potentially up to 10 years of his life. Well, and read the article about it, too, because the thing that I found was fascinating was who testified in favor and against the guy. Yes. Because there were, I guess, the three, what you consider more conservative members who testified they did not feel threatened. Known Um, as Team Liberty. And I'm going to take people at face value and not say they would just say they did or did not feel threatened because they wanted this guy prosecuted. Uh, and, the, and three more liberal members of the city commission, like Gwen Jones, testified they were threatened. Brian von Losberg, yeah, Brian von Losberg, Julie Merritt, and Gwen Jones were the three people that um, really were, I guess, the prosecution's key witnesses um, in terms of their ability to convey how threatened and unsafe they felt by the actions. The, the words, the words of Brandon Bryan and his um, actions. And, and to my knowledge, the specific phrase was like, these people need to be eliminated and therefore saying people need to be eliminated, which I'm assuming in his context means like they need to be voted out of office. They need to not be in their positions. They took to mean that was like a contract for their killing. Right. Um, but the most interesting thing is where did Engen fall out on this? Do you exactly. Remember? Mayor Engen testified that he was not afraid. He was not he afraid. Was not afraid. And, um, you know, so is our mayor, I've actually made this case on Twitter to people that the current democratic party who's in power is actually more like neoconservative and corporate mm-hmm, than actual mm-hmm. progressive or liberal. Uh, and this might be an example where if you want to make like a quid pro quo, quo with the whole thing and, and make all these deals with people to support you, which is basically what Engen's done. Um, I mean, look at his campaign right now. Who ran his campaign last time? Oh, yeah, she was a city council person, and now she has a cushy job managing the fairgrounds with the city. Yes, and, yes, and yes. I'm sure as soon as the city council member who is currently running his campaign, once they win, you know, within two years, she'll be at some nice, comfortable city job. So, so getting getting transcripts from that, from that trial would be very interesting. Um, and if those transcripts can be obtained, reading portions of it would be very interesting because... From my understanding, uh, the defense made some interesting arguments um, in terms of finding some context for the three prosecution witnesses um, that called into question uh, their their fear factor, so to speak. So I, I think there could be some more information well, I mean, that would be okay. illuminating for us to, to dig into there. Also, they had to make a decision to prosecute. Okay? Exactly. They wanted to keep yep. him in jail, and they could only do that if they were going to take him to court and try to try him on these charges. And yet in this city where... You know, like Kirsten Paps has 111 uh, cases referred to her for sexual assault, and she will only prosecute 15 of those. So well, you know, at, at 80% the same... of them she won't prosecute. How many people I could sit here and list, you know, people with violent criminal backgrounds who were not prosecuted by Kirsten Paps and then went on to commit more crimes, including murder? Uh, the fact that Absolutely. three city council members saying their feelings about safety is enough to put this guy on trial for a felony, like, it seems like a very pointed 
and statement-making use of city resources to its citizens. And at the time, as I was writing about this, you know, there were two cases that happened uh, at the same time that Brandon Bryant was alleged to have made his you know, felonious intimidation threats. Um, there was Ben Musso, a young man who was stabbed four times in a drug deal gone wrong in a bathroom, and his assailant, who used a knife to fucking kill him, uh, was, was not prosecuted. So that was self-defense, according to the, the county attorney. Um, and, and so Josh Pagnow was, was not prosecuted. He, he later went to build a, a, a torture room and threaten his mom in Florence oh, right. down your neck of the woods. Well, well, okay, let's go back to the, the, the intimidation case, though, because right. in my mind, this guy now has a very good case to sue the city for, like, unlawful prosecution, unlawful ah, restraint. You know, yes, th- yes, the yes. fact is the city of Missoula and its taxpayers could now conceivably pay millions of dollars in the settlement to this guy because they use the resources in a, such a flagrantly oh, like... Oh, man. Not just that, but m- imagine the discovery. And that... There, there is stuff. There is stuff, and I, I I'm not going to get into specifics because it's stuff I'm actively looking for. Um, but I think that could be a amazing, rich vein to mine. Um, do we know anyone that's just like kind of independently wealthy out there that wants to throw a couple million at like some kind of like massive legal effort to to totally crack open the corruption in this town? Uh, not offhand. <laughs> I. You know, I'm going to reach out to some independent... Does anyone know Dennis Washington? When he's not funding Engen, could he come help us? Well, one of the things that I do want to to ask, I'm, I'm still trying to get permission from my wife. Uh, I don't know if it'll happen, but at the end of this month, the Freedom Festival in Rapid City is happening. And there's it's like a two or three day thing. Monica Perez is going to be uh, there with... She's directing one of the stages. And when is that? It's July 27th, 28th, something like that. And so I, I'm really interested in um, I, the tickets are like 500 bucks. Hmm. Um, you can get a like a promo code through the propaganda report, and I'm going to look into to possibly doing that. I'm I'm trying to pitch it to my wife as an investment because the networking really might be able to to help our efforts as we're trying to get more attention. Um, you know, I I think a lot of the stuff that's happening in this town is so indicative of bigger trends. And, and so much of the, the stuff that's happening is we are in a small town. This is, you know, 80,000 people in the city, 100,000 in the county. And so when you oppose an entrenched political structure like, you know, what we're doing, it really is a difficult thing because there's so many social circles that start blowing up in your face and you start realizing all those connections and, and how sort of incestuous it is. And at some point we do need um, outsider perspective to, I think, come in and say, wow, this has been going on in your guys' town. This is pretty screwed up, you know, because when I when I say basic things, you know, again, Sean Stevenson, the other case around the same time that Brandon Bryant is charged with, with a felony, you know, Sean Stevenson is uh, assaulted by Johnny Lee Perry at the Pavarello Center and Johnny Lee Perry faces no charges. You know, that was seen as a self-defense and that's a little bit more murkier. Um, and there's some stuff that, you know, again, we need to do an update at some point, but um it's really fascinating as I've come to understand the power of prosecutors. It's not just what they selectively go after. It's really what they, what they don't. I mean, the, the omission, you know, that was the, with John Krakauer's focus on Missoula and the whole rape scandal, how many cases just sit there, you know, or how many rape kits don't even get processed. I mean, this is a national issue in college town after college town. And we have the same person still in a position of power and influence. Well, 
and and this is a democratic stronghold it's sort of it like butte it I, I think it's almost old school in that way especially with the university where yeah you have this sort of old guard who believes that these vote democratic all these progressive things are happening and the, the way they get information through like the missoulian and the missoula current it also reinforces that view that everything's going fine and they're doing exactly what democrats should do yep. and it's like how do you break through that information control because uh, I think the best thing you could ever do is just actually get progressives to know what's actually going on in this town. And if they really care about progressive issues and learned what's not happening here, uh, the question is maybe it's done on them. Maybe then we go did to you some know, of the elders. Did you know that you're just teeing up the perfect segue for talking about Windows? It's it's what I do. That's amazing. That was phenomenal because what what is getting people really fired up in the liberal leftist um, Twitter sphere is a window got broken in Kalispell. So it's a bookshop. It's the window where there's a pride flag or was before the hate crime, you know, because clearly we have to jump immediately to the fact it's a, it's a hate crime, right? Yeah. So the Montana human rights network is bringing attention to this potential hate crime up in Kalispell with a broken window. I, of course, whenever I see the Montana human rights network, try to virtue signal over an issue. I like to ask them if they've had a chance to listen to the interview with Sean Stevenson's sisters. Well, this time, the fucking idiot that runs the Twitter account had the the stupidity to basically check with their people and get back to me like, no, no one's heard of this. You know, no one's gotten a link. No one's. What are you talking about? Who who have you spoken to? So I wrote a post, you know, where I'm like, oh, so does Travis McAdam work at your organization? And and would you like to see the screenshot of my email where I sent him the fucking link? It's it, this yeah. isn't rocket scientist people. You know, I don't know if the people of this organization, if they talk to each other or if they're all in like their little like sequestered safe spaces in some undisclosed location. But the fuckers need to like listen to the goddamn interview because I know it's tough to go against a liberal political establishment when your organization probably relies on a liberal donor class. Um, probably to, we can't know exist. because it's dark money which no, a lot of these no this is this is non-profit i mean the montana human rights saying, network dark it, money non-profits yeah. do not have to release their donors but they are allowed to participate in politics is the definition of like unaccountable politics well i'm getting tired of this bullshit because it, it is bleeding into local municipal elections i'll remind anyone listening the montana human rights network um had a little intern by the name of maggie bornstein who wrote a little letter to the editor um, that seemed to be drawing on information she was gleaning from her internship to make accusations against Jacob Elder um, about his right-wing anti-LGBT donors. Um, and when I talked to her on the phone, I mean, she said it was from her internship. So, yeah, good job, Maggie. Um, and, and so this stuff really does impact. So as we continue looking at um, the city council race and the mayor race, you know, Danny Carlino is a city council candidate um, who is bringing attention to housing issues, um, his girlfriend is Maggie Bornstein. That, that is unfortunately significant. And I hate saying that because it sounds like, you well, know, I'm, I'm going to play did, the did mean Did we double girl check? Because she said she was running for a house seat, which I don't even understand we yet. We should double check that. That's ha- Have you talked about the redistricting stuff? That's just no, kind of ramping up. No, but that's going to be a hot topic and something we, I mean, those are the mechanisms of, of power politics, you know, controlling the, the districts, you know, re drawing the districts, um, trying to, and, and both sides, both sides do it. And for me, you know, I, I tell people over and over again, you know, when I'm having some of these awkward conversations where they're like, you're making us feel uncomfortable. I'm like, listen to the interview and you will have such a better idea of where I'm coming from. I am, I am continually dumbfounded that 
a person can be killed in our community and there can seemingly be a cover up and I can have like the connections I have. I mean, I know, I know some of these people. I'm, I had a conversation with Gwen Florio, you know, the former editor of the Missoulian uh, many, many months ago about this, about Sean Stevenson and about some other, other things. And it's just like, novel. Oh, it's just, it, it's hard to get people to care when, um, when they have so much incentive to not even actually know or pay attention to what's going on. So, well, she was the editor of the Missoulian, so I'm not surprised she doesn't know what's going on in this town. Uh, <laughs> well, and, and here and here's why. And um, we'll kind of look at maybe wrapping it up here uh, in no, a bit. We but got a lot. What's on your list there? What uh, I'm getting near near the end, but um, I do want to say this this one is is really interesting. Um, one of the one of the things that I'm hoping to get some information on is the small business retention money that that went out. So there was like six hundred forty thousand dollars some odd money <coughs> excuse me and uh, and so this money went out to, to lots of different businesses um one state senator received two disbursements so um ellie boldman formerly ellie hill got twenty five thousand for her small business her law firm ellie hill law firm and then the willow bark science which is my my understanding it's a cannabis testing facility I reached out to the to the county, and I'm going to be getting the information eventually because it's publicly available information. You just have to ask. You get it. They had to do some redacting, so I haven't gotten it quite yet. But I asked the county person that I was communicating with, who else in, in, in the media, in local media, has asked for this information? All they have to do is send an email. That's all they have to do. They have to use their fingers. They have to go to the email. They have to send out a little email. I would like to have the information about who you know what they did with this money. No one, zero, zero. No one asked. They don't even want to know, you know? And so, of course, people in this community are not educated and informed about what's actually going on because the media, they know who not to expose. They know who, who to, you know, continue just uh, making sure that access is, is maintained. You know, you don't want to piss off the wrong people and then just have them not talk to you because then, you know, that just makes it awkward when you're hanging out or going to the grocery store and you see these people. It's like, oh, man, yeah, I, I kind of exposed how you are a self-dealing, corrupt person saying one thing to the cameras and then doing something else behind the behind the scenes. They don't want to do that, you know, and of course they don't want to do that when the, the, the publisher of the Missoulian is on the board of the United Way. So, I mean, you have those connections that ensure that kind of leakage doesn't happen. So, yeah. Can I speak a little bit to the um, redistricting commission? Because when Please I talked do. earlier yeah. about one of the projects I wanted to look at about whether or not the state had become sort of out of reach for Democrats is, uh, the, you know, they we can assume we've had one district for Montana since 1990 when they split it up. Traditionally, before that, the Western District. So uh, are you talking about the second Congress person? Yeah. So we're, we gained a second seat in the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, and that is big. That's that's significant. We have Well, it is big because places like California and New York lost seats. And so, you oh. know, as we go into another presidential election in a couple of years, uh, and as they've been pretty close the last 20 years, uh, we, we do want to see, like, how is this going to sort of shake out and the real thing for democrats is do they have a chance at taking the second seat can they draw the map in such a way that makes it so that they are competitive in, in at least one of the two seats they're going to assume you know wherever kalispell gets drawn into wherever billings gets drawn into you know that they aren't going to be able to to probably swing that but if they take like you know missoula helena 
Bozeman, Billings, and then maybe some combination. Uh, those those enough <laughs> together would be able to get them competitive enough to win a seed. And I don't know if that's possible. I haven't done the math yet, but uh, I think it's very telling that when we're looking at the standards and how they're going to draw this, that the Democrats, number one thing is it needs to be at least competitive so we might be able to win. They don't. That's the number one thing they care about is can we get into power? Not do these people have something in common with other people in their districts? This is my complaint, especially, look, I'm going to admit at the national level, when you look at some of these maps at some of these states and where their house districts are drawn, it does look very gerrymandered to me, okay? Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll follow you on that hill any day. But right. also, don't turn around and look at the map of Missoula. Look at the map of Bozeman and see how almost every part of the county that goes way out to the borders of the county somehow gets drawn into the university district every single time to right. give Democrats an advantage in the legislature. Uh, they're going to do try to do the same thing with that seat. And may, maybe, I guess I'm naive. I haven't deep-dived into this. I haven't made a six-figure salary trying to prep them. <laughs> like I'm sure right. Democrats have data analysts probably in Helena and probably in D.C. who have already done all this math. And they wouldn't even trying to do it, you know, unless they thought they had a chance. But I'm really curious about what this is going to turn out because I've, I, every, you know, in 20 years I've been in voting age of Montana, I'm almost always lived in a rural outside the city district that was wrapped into a city district that was always won by a Democrat because they could somehow always get the college kids to go vote Democrat. And then they pull like five house seats. We'll That's see if they can do it. It might be out of reach at this point there because... Here's the implications for this, okay? If you want Democrats to be a viable political party in the state of Montana going forward, you have to rebuild it somehow, and you can't make it look like the John Tester, Steve Bullock, Brian Schweitzer party. I just don't think you can do that anymore. You've tied the moderate Democrats can win in Montana if they're moderate, and because they look so much like Republicans, they're like Republicans light. But now the way that we have a nationalized media and the nationalized party where these things that they want to do in San Francisco and New York City and Washington, D.C., they can tie them straight to the Democrats here in Montana. They have to develop some sort of strategy to try to win. And I'd rather it not be like fix the game or fix the rules. But it looks like I mean, that's always been part of their strategy. It's always part of anyone's strategy. But wow. yeah, that's my rant about redistricting. I'm, I'm just curious Thank to you see for that whether it's going to go anywhere because the fact is what happens in this districting commission in the next three months is going to be how the state looks for the next 10 years and that's important you know and it's so off my radar i i really wasn't even thinking about the fact that that montana is a pie right now being carved up and the way that it's being carved up i mean i know basically how that happens gerrymandering and and, and who can benefit and that both parties are, are going to play this you know kind of um push and pull, you know, game to get as much influence as they can. But um, on the on the sort of larger scale in terms of Montana politics, you know, Montana Democrats have been talking about rebuilding for so long, but but the core is this older um, Clinton victory fund, you know, it's, Jim it's, Messina, it, it's this rot, it's a rotten core that that will not give any any leeway to progressives. Um, uh, some of the DSA stuff that I see is almost like controlled opposition, in my opinion. Some of it, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, like there, there's there's a lot of hinky stuff and a lot of fractured little su kind of subgroups, you know, um, in a similar way where Republicans used to have more consistency with their libertarian wing and that's kind of fractured. And But, but at the same time, you have obviously more cohesion um, in terms of power that they've been able to accumulate, although Republicans continue to be 
um, somewhat fractured in Montana because of the more extreme parts and, and some of the solutions oriented people that try do they try and work with Democrats. But um, well, in a lot of the ways that Democrats have sort of kept power for at least my adult lifetime, I think a lot of those are slipping away. I think the ability to have an identity as a moderate Democrat, you know, that's kind of slipping away a lot. We have, uh, what, three or five people announced for the new... I don't even know where the new district's going to be, but I already know Lori Bishop Lori Bishop. Livingston is going to run for it. Clara Mon Newman just announced. Okay. Monica Trinnell just announced. Right. Um, who do we have on the Republican side? Al Olszewski, but Ryan I guess Zinke. Maybe we need to get JC back in here to, to have some conversations because, you know, back in the day when I was writing for 420 Blackbirds, I considered myself more of a leftist, right? More of like a hardcore, anti-imperial... Uh, leftists that that hated corporate Democrats, um, so I would be more identifying with the progressive wing, right? And w my, part of my frustration writing for Four and Twenty Blackbirds is that the the kind of corporate Democrat mentality really didn't like even conversations back then, and yeah. so there was a lot of cancel culture before that was even a, a term in this phenomenon of of trying to corral those unruly leftists and and even as we had the conversation about uh jacob elder and the facebook blocking and there's a facebook page blocked by jacob elder on facebook right um and all that stupid mean girl politics that was breaking out not to be sexist boys can be mean too but um what, what the point i was trying to make is that someone reached out to me via direct message um basically saying uh, Karen Wickersham, who was making those claims that Jacob was falsely calling her racist and all this stuff. Well, you know, this this comment was like, well, Karen liked to control the make sure the progressives didn't have comments that showed up on the Missoula County website for the Facebook group. You know, and so and so there there's there's all of this narrative control. I, I just look at well, it as narrative control. And I, you know, I don't know if there's any some of the stuff I've been putting out on Twitter for what's what it's worth is basically just give up on any national movements. I don't want, I mean, they, they just get co-opted. Like what you can do is close to home. What you do is, you know, you build networks and, and you try to, when you're building like those local actual grassroots networks, you talk about political hot buttons as little as possible. Yeah. You know, um, you connect with people on a, on, on that basic human level. I've had some great conversations recently. I, um, well, okay. Can I just yeah. say something else? Please do. Isn't it curious that we've had three Democrats come out who are totally willing to run in a primary against each other for an unknown seat? They don't even know where the seat is. They don't even know where they need to campaign. But you have not had one of them take on Rosendale, okay? Yeah. Perhaps I'm out in the wilderness here, but I don't find Matt Rosendale to be an especially great politician. Right. Uh, I think he's been the sort of like alternative, the like safe guy, sort of like Denny Rayberg, I guess, in a way. But but there's so many negatives about him. Like he, you can't even hear him talk. What I'm from Montana. I'm the representative from. I shoot a government dread. Like and yet he you wins. You can't find and, one guy to take that guy on, but you have three people take on anonymous nobody nowhere. Okay. Yeah. Well. Shows where your confidence is, I guess. Or this happens a lot in city politics where where they think there's a safe district. Yeah. Like, you know, Eric Adams just got uh, won the Democratic primary in New York City. And because there's such an overwhelming advantage, they assume he's just going to win. So that's a lot of times you'll see Republicans fight each other tooth and nail for these safe Republican districts. Or Democrats fight each other for these safe Democratic seats. And it's right. just like, 
aren't we all served better by having a primary, by having something competitive? Because at least we know if there's some sort of accountability, like you actually can lose an election, that you're more likely to be more of a moderate and like fair and sort of connecting with the people candidate. Because you know, it's, it's not like Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi, you know, could, could do anything and she will still, she could die tomorrow and I'm sure she'll still win the next three elections in San Francisco just because they're so loyal to her name being on the ballot and filling it in. But yeah. that's not how good government works. The other thing I was sort of talking about with Democrats is, uh, do you hear this thing they did about the the Pearl Jam show they were going to show at the park? No, no, but I'm I'm constantly disappointed by artists in general and what they're doing. So well, okay. So every time John Tester has run right for Senate here, he's had Pearl Jam come to a concert for him in Missoula. Because he he's gets a up folks, on stage. He's a folksy guy from Big Sandy, yeah, and don't you know that his a buddy pay, plays bass for Pearl Jam? And yeah. as this goes on and on, and the number of people who even know who the fuck Pearl Jam is start dying. Like you talk to one of your kids, ask him when you come to be like, do you know who whoever the bassist is? Do you know Pearl Jam? Do you know the song Jeremy? Well, you know, I introduced him to Metallica, the the Black Album on the road trip. So they're getting a little cultured. Okay, fair enough. But as far as, it's like uh, in 2017 when uh, Zinke abandoned his seat. And so Gianforte was going to go for the House seat and he ran against Rob Quist. They brought Alyssa Milano to MSU. Right. And Alyssa Milano came and took selfies with the kids and gave, and I'm like, Okay, you're a 40-year-old actress who was on a sitcom in the 80s and part of the 90s. Um, how many 18- or 19-year-olds do you think are going to know who the fuck you are or care enough about you to go out and vote? Well, and this was their strategy, though. Right. It's like it's gimmicky. It's it's almost like you have to kind of think your people are a little bit stupid to think this is what's going to get them involved in government. But, so part of the arrogance, I think, that comes from some of these these idiot plays that, that, that they're hoping are going to be successful comes from the fact that um, so much of the media really is in their in their pocket in terms of not re- reminding like the voters or giving like the enough context so that um, John Tester seems like he's a progressive, maybe in the minds of dumb college students that, that or Alyssa Milano's, you know, they want to take a picture because now nostalgia sells or something like that. But um, when you think about John Tester as the standard bearer for Democrats in Montana, I mean, he's one of the most powerful Democrats now. Um, you know, in, in terms of state politics, you know, he's he's bringing Even home the bacon. as a moderate Democrat, he has a lot of power. He right does. Uh, veteran, the Veteran Affairs Department. I mean, this guy is rolling rolling big now. With this flat top and his how many fingers he has. But um, one of the the things that just kind of blows me away is, I mean, this guy is starting to get to Max Baucus like levels, where Max Baucus is just a corporate piece of shit. You know, and and sure, it's great that Montana's got a powerful senator, you know, but when they're corporate pieces of shit that do things like Tester does, which is like take care of the bankers, you know, Tester's not, I mean, the the folksy image, you know, and the images they continue to try and create for their politicians. Rob Quist was a fucking joke. You know, if that's what Democrats in Montana are going to do time and time again, they find like, or the plagiarizer John Walsh. You know, I mean, I guess that makes sense for, for for someone that wants to have an Alzheimer's plagiarizer, you know, named Joe Biden being the president. But it's just like, what what does it take for this third way Clinton corporate Democrat beast to fucking die? Who's going to kill it? You know, I don't know. Who's, well, who's going to kill and this, this thing? This is sort of my overall point. Metaphorically is speaking, killing. The yeah. way that Democrats, especially in places like Montana, have done well is they've been willing to lie and play the part of who they think like middle American voters want them to be. And they don't do that anymore. And I, I think <laughs> they, that's why they don't realize while they're losing because they only stay in these echo chambers. Yeah, like, yeah. I brought up before the Montana Human Rights did a whole like 
$1,000 mailing piece against Craig Gianforte, and he's a crazy Bible lover, and he's a Bible thumper. Oh, yeah, the, like, the Dinosaur Museum or some shit like that? Yeah, right? if, if you're going to bring in the basis from Pearl Jam for the fourth time, if you're going to bring in, you know, the people who are supposed to stand up for racial equality and human rights and have them instead just, like, complain about the Bible, you're going to be turning off the people who used to vote for you. And when the only thing that was making them decide between crazy Republican and Republican light was who's crazy, and you've now stopped listening to those people and become so out of touch yourself you're gonna lose all those votes you're gonna make yourself i mean let's think about the issue with bullock when he ran against danes okay once he announces his presidential thing is over and they're like you're gonna be the best chance to win he ends up losing by 20 points you know i think it was cora newman and uh the guy who was from helena what's the black mayor i'm sorry do you know um wilmot uh, collins yeah wilmot collins what would have been so bad about Steve Bullock running a primary against two other people? Number one, uh, if you want those two other people to actually have like a better future in the party, the more they're out there running and trying to run for office, the more name recognition they're going to have. It's only going to be a benefit. Who in your party is telling you you need to drop out and line up behind this guy? And doesn't it help Steve Bullock to be campaigning as well? Doesn't it make him a better candidate? And doesn't that make him more have his face in more places if he is going to be the one who eventually runs? for Danes what? what is so scary about a primary and why are you taking obvious benefits for your party completely off the table just to look like an organized mafia and but now you're wondering why well, you can't win anything you have to cheat and like change the because, rules to because, win. because because it's an organized mafia well, I mean <laughs> but, 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 I won't fight you on that one but, but, but that I mean honestly that sometimes I think people have these good faith ideas that um, you know the the sort of viability of a candidate is enhanced by the vigorous debate that that will happen in a strong primary but that's that's not the way it actually happens because when you get to these levels of like governor or senator i mean there's too much stuff that you have to do to get to that point that what you then just have to do is surround yourself with yes people and then protect protect all of the all of those nasty things you had to do to get that power um and so you can't expose yourself to to even your potential you know political colleagues your peers because you know someone like bullock um i think you get like this glass ego that that gets constructed um by having enough yes people around you enough of those sycophants that just are like okay yeah we're just you know sure you're totally gonna beat danes yeah. no it's it's your time to shine steve and it's like no people objectively understand that that was fucking stupid just like they understood so many of these decisions in the last couple cycles have been terrible you know statewide for democrats they had this blue bench hope that they were going to like find these these candidates but they're not growing candidates in in small little political markets in the eastern part of the state or other places they're 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 assuming their little bozeman missoula strongholds are going to last you know um and that i guess enough like idiot Californians that believe in that ideology and not conservative Californians that exist and also move out of the state. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to, to see how some of those dynamics change as, as that wealth moves in, as people just flee. Well, and, and a lot of people think, I remember this is one thing we thought in 2014 when we were doing Danes' campaign was that Butte was a foregone conclusion. You don't even talk to Butte. You don't even go over to Butte. And we're like, why not? Like and Hillary, we, Hillary didn't go to Wisconsin, right? Or like those, those split. You don't, you don't go to those places. You just say you were born to serve me, right? Yeah, like you, black you people just for Democrats. Blue collar, like moderate Democrats are going to always show up and vote for you. Right. And this is one thing when I actually ran the data of Butte was Butte 
uh, Montana generally is actually very much like a crossover state. The number of people who will cross over and vote for both parties, you know, something other than the street ticket value is pretty high in Montana. And right. The highest county when we ran the data at that time was Silver Bow County, where Butte is located. Interesting. It was because you go to Uptown Butte, you go to the old, uh, you know, brick buildings, the old mining buildings. You still have the old sort of Democratic Guard, the labor unions, et cetera. But you go below the interstate, there's so much new development there. There's so many new homes. And those people are like just regular suburban moderate voters. Yeah. And they don't identify with this like hardcore union or like hardcore left thing. And there was a ton of Republican votes that came out of there that no one ever thought would. Interesting. Um, just because they didn't even like bother to see what the, they're just like, oh, Butte, we're always wearing Butte. Would you remember a year ago? Is it arrogance or laziness or both? I mean, it seems like there's so many opportunities to actually look at information to determine what might actually be going on on the ground. And that is just ignored by, by these like, well, this is a thing. Party I mean, leaders. This is, this is my frustration. I sit here and bitch about Democrats the whole time, but I have just as many bitches and gripes on the right because yeah. one of the most frustrating for things for me is like on the ground conservative is I look at social media and I look at what's going on and so much of conservative and Republican messaging is just reactionary. It's just the Democrats said this, so we're going to respond and say why they're bad. Right. They still don't have the same kind of interest to talk to regular people that any of the out-of-touch DC people do. You know, they all, Democrats and Republicans Steve Dane, John Tester, I'm sure they go have dinner once or twice a year. You know, they don't really get this on the ground stuff. And this is where it's like, you know, Republicans could do better if they wanted to. They could be more in touch. They could have a permanent power here if they actually like kept good dynamic systems throughout the state that made sure they knew what people people don't care any more about like fireworks or, or the wars in Afghanistan than, than the Democrats do. But there are real on the ground issues like housing. Like well, do you know what's funny though? Like, like on that on that on that front though, it's so much easier to keep people angry on the the wedge issues. Okay. So the hot button social yeah. wedge issues, that actually is the safe terrain because when you start talking about policy and when you start talking about um, how local communities actually function. Um, th this came out really well in in, in John Ingen's last campaign, right? Um, you have what might be considered a a private sector business that was funding Lisa Tripke, right? Brett's RV, you know, Brett's RV is selling RVs, right? Yeah. They're 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 businessmen. You know, if you go look at Brett's RV and all the guys, the big gut Montana dudes, right? It's just it's it's good strong Montana men. I'm sure they always vote Republican, but guess what? When it when when push came to shove and Engen plays the mafia card, he's like, "Hey, motherfuckers, did you take some of my tiff? You did. You took some of my tiff, didn't you, Brett's RV? Yeah, you sniffed some of that tiff. You, you know, you, you I can snorted. See it on your upper lip. It's man. like you snorted. You still got that shit on your on your mustache right there, right? And so, like, when 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 a, a conservative Republican businessman is taking the tiff, that's a public subsidy, dudes. You know, it might just be for landscaping, and you might have like smart business decisions about um, taking that." But guess what? Don Corleone Engen is going to come out and say, oh, yeah, you want to you want to fund Lisa Tripke, huh? OK, well, um, I'm going to go to my media pals and, and we're going to have some media stories about you guys taking the tiff. You know, you took the tiff. You fucking took that shit. And so that's how it plays out. And so just, you know, stay mad about immigrants, you know, stay mad about broken windows or you know, what other like social issues? The you know. Can we go to the broken windows thing? Because yes. we. I know why you're angry about it, but I think I, there was a thing that came out of CPAC this week, which really pissed me off. 
uh, oh, that's right. CPAC. CPAC. Yeah, yeah, that's so right. So Caitlyn Jenner is running for governor of California. I think she'd actually be a really good candidate for California. She seems to be kind of a moderate conservative. I think she's fiscal conservative, right certainly right. Um, and there's been quite a number of times where California has swung to the right. You look at Schwarzenegger against the recall. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, you look at the actual ballot think, initiatives isn't, isn't about Gavin, Gavin Newsom making people nostalgic for, for the Arnold almost? I, thinking well, back to the Schwarzenegger So she era. was at CPAC, and now we've gotten to this part in transgender where, like, some real asshole just call, walking around, like, calling her by her former male name. They call it dead naming if, if you call him. Dead naming. Okay. Have you not heard of this I before? haven't heard of okay, that Okay, so if, I, if a trans person, you know them, and you know what they're for, so... Of course, she became famous originally in the 70s as Bruce Jenner, the you know Olympic athlete. And then he very recently, in the last few years, decided to transition to become a woman. And so it's just considered like what I was really disappointed with was we've somehow gotten to this thing politically. And this is everything I see on Twitter, too, is like anonymous accounts with weird pictures, not real names, yeah. just saying the most inflammatory stuff possible. And then people go real life and start fucking doing that and it's like now i've lost all respect for you apart from partisan politics apart from you know just being a good human being right if you want to be in the dialogue be respectful of other people in the dialogue and this was my thing uh with trump is they're so angry about the trump's dialogue about the insults about the mean things he said and it's like you know what you have been saying mean things about regular people for so long looking down at them trying to manage their lives they will manage you out of existence you know environmentalists don't care if every single timber family in western montana loses their home and loses their job and has to go be a barista because their ideology of environmental concern is so much more than actually caring about the lives of regular human beings and that's really just what pisses me off it's like you know what those in power you know, you go back to the time of like kings and servants, at least kings cared whether their subjects, usually if they wanted to be a good king, whether they were happy, whether their lives were okay. If, if you have, if people well, had you know, the, full the, the, bellies the and peasants. a roof over their house, it didn't matter what the year is. People are happy with right. those in management and, and even democracy. If, if people found their lives easier, they're happy with things are going. If people find their lives are harder, they they want change. It doesn't matter what political party is or what year it is or who the person is. Like, don't you at a basic level feel like you should have sort of a responsibility of service and, and to, to the people who you're lording over in government? I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, th to, to, to take it to one more kind of area that, that is one of the most hot button, probably the, the one that I steer clear from in terms of writing blog posts, I, I'd stay away from um, this topic, you know, um, but the idea of the federal government coming door to door. Oh, yes. Okay. Door to door. Have you seen the script? Have you read it? Yeah, I mean, okay. I've looked at I've looked at the you know ignore solicitation and and the guidelines Isn't and all this stuff. Weird. I'm very surprised they would put that in. So um, so, but it's this is really insidious because if a person has on their door at their gate, go away. Like your instinct and what you tell people is, oh, that's not for you. They really want you to come into their house. This is even the, if they went and bought a sign saying never come into. This my is house. troll behavior. Okay, this is troll behavior, like on comment threads of blogs, right? where it's safe because it's just a bunch of assholes trying to get an emotional reaction. This is trolling people, okay, waiting for the person that's going to do the predictable thing when someone comes onto their property and starts wanting to take information about their health, all right? Um, th there's going to be probably, 
I don't want there to be, but there probably will be some predictable reactions to that. And the reason why I obviously steer clear from this is because obviously it hits home when you have family that have already made difficult decisions for what, what they're going to do with their health and private decisions. That's no one, it's no one else's fucking business. HIPAA motherfuckers. Right. Um, but I am gearing up. It's, it's middle of summer. Like we're kind of hitting the middle, middle of summer mark schools, you know, going to be coming here soon. Um, I don't want my kids in masks. It's insane to me that this is a political conversation. Show me the peer reviewed studies. Okay. That show that asymptomatic spread among youth is a significant problem. If it's because old fat teachers are scared, then they should retire and not work. Okay. Um, if they're overweight and making bad health decisions for themselves, that's their choice. They can eat shitty food wow. and get fat and that's fine. And I don't want to sound mean. Okay. But it is not worth me potentially harming my children by having them in mass outside at recess any longer than they had to be last year, last school, school year. And so I'm going to be looking for opportunities to start um, getting involved with school board conversations because um, a lot of parents feel very similar, but are scared to, to come out and, and, and speak. And, you know, luckily we, we, our kids are going to a school outside of the bubble. You know, I, I feel bad for, um, we have some friends that their kids go to Paxson, you know, which is kind of in the, the heart of, um, we must follow the dictates. And, it, and at this point, um, if, the, if, if there is not an honest look at what actual risk young people are facing in terms of COVID versus a vaccine or whatever emergency, there's some really concerning things that are happening because at some point with Fauci's most recent um, statements, okay, FDA approval is going to happen. And then once it's no longer an emergency approved thing, um, those mandates that they are just salivating over are going to become very real and very, very consequential. I mean, we're going to look at a bifurcated society. You want to talk about medical apartheid, all of this shit that like these crazy conspiracy theorists were warning about. It's all, it's all happening. Well, and I mean, we were talking offline too about some of the issues in the military because it looks like it's being telegraphed by September, October. They're going to make it mandatory for everyone in the yep. military to get the vaccines. And on the one hand, I understand, uh, you know, if you ever sign up for basic training, one of the first days you're ever going to go through is where they put about six or seven shots in your arm. Uh, however, most of those shots do have a much longer proven uh, longitudinal history of being effective and, and not having side effects. I've just seen too many stories on social media currently of kids getting this shot and like having I, I saw one in Italy where the the guy she just dropped dead this like teenager drops dead from the shot and and they open her up and they look and her brain is like completely uh what do they call it? thrombosis where it's just blood right. clotting where it's all up in her sinuses and and the surgeon's like I've never seen this before I saw you know, testimony, a lot of these are like liberals. They're like, we wanted our kids to be involved. We wanted to do our part to help the science. And now my kid's paralyzed and is going to be eating out of feeding tube for the rest of their life. Like, how does any parent see something like that? And I don't care statistically insignificant. It probably is a very low chance that these things happen. But if it's your kid, it's a big deal. I, you know, yeah. And especially yeah. when the alternative of them getting sick seems to be like so inconsequential where so many pe kids are actually would they have something like I think the UK report, I said 25 total kids under 18 end up getting COVID and dying, but several hundred ended up committing suicide because of the like social isolation of it all. It's just the what, what, what how are they still go along with this? I mean, even the pol political stuff. You, 
one of the reasons I think Republicans did so well last year in the elections was if you're the Democrats and you're the ones tackling parents at bleachers trying to watch their kids football game because they're not wearing a mask, if you're the one on that side, no one wants to go vote for you, okay? Steve Bullock tried to walk a very tight tightrope of not putting too restrict uh, things uh, when sports came around last fall uh, because he didn't want people to be like, oh, I can't go see my kid's basketball game because of Steve Bullock's rule. Yeah. They were very... You know, you, you talk about how much the science is supposed to be uh, informing the policy. Well, it sure didn't in moderate places where Democrats wanted to be elected. It sure didn't in the Montana <laughs> Senate race. Uh, well, the, the, I think this is one area, um, this sort of, you know, bio health focus now, especially when it's merging with big tech, um, where they're, you know, Democrat Republican means less than nothing in, in my mind. Um, you know, Trump for, for all of the hope in, in the people had in him for standing against the deep state, you know, the guy teed up, um, these mandates really by having operation warp speed and trying to, you know, have the best, greatest, most fastest, you know, vaccine efforts America world has ever seen, you know? And, and so, okay, great. So you tee this up for Biden and then come in. Um, one of the things to think about, uh, Monica Perez and, and Brad Binkley with the propaganda report continue to be like my, my faves and I need to figure out, I did an interview with them and it's, I need to do some editing. Well, that's another issue. But, um, one of the things that Monica Perez keeps on talking about is as, as these, <coughs> excuse me, like spikes seem to be happening. How do these, um, different locales define what a fully vaccinated person is, right? Um, and I think if I remember what she was saying, it's like a couple weeks after your second shot, then you're fully vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Well, what if, um, what if you have some kind of adverse health impact from after your first shot? Um, and but you've had a shot, but you're considered in terms of the stats as unvaxed. Yeah. Like what, what a lot of people are worried about is that what the narrative that be, that's being set up is that it's all the fault of the unvaccinated people. I mean, that's, it's obvious that's the narrative that's being set up, but it's like, okay, well, what if a lot of people might be having adverse health reactions um, to their first shot or it's quickly after their second shot? And because of how you set the definition of what a fully vaxxed person is, just like, you know, the definitions of herd immunity, you know, and how those change, that's important. Oh, yeah. How you um, define what a pandemic is, well, that's then, important, you know, like... In their insistence on making this a partisan issue and wanting to continually label all conservatives as bad and evil, what they seem to have forgotten is that, you know, we're getting data now on who the unvaccinated are. And, you know, I said anecdotally on Twitter, you know, I went to see my in-laws. Part of the reason I came home early because I thought I might be sick with COVID was because none of them have got the vaccine. Right. The, you know, my sister-in-law and her husband are young. They're like left-wing people. They watch Trevor oh, so Noah. You're, you're like, you're a hotbed of variant activity right there. You unvaccinated threats. Well, look, I'm, I'm <laughs> a respectful person, you know. Yeah. I mean, to tell a personal story, one of my cousins down in South Dakota, they're like very far right wing down there. So she decided to have her wedding in Deadwood uh, October of last year. And so my 70 some year old grandma went and got COVID and was in the hospital for a month and almost died. OK, yeah. I'm not I, I'm not trying to minimize the risk here. But what I am trying to say is their problem in which they seemingly want to label and even go to people's houses to to deal with is that all these evil uh, anti-government right-wing people are the ones not getting the vaccines but in my experience 
you know, my, my father's conservative. He's a Republican, pretty openly so. He got the vaccine. Uh, my spouse, he ended up getting it. He's a conservative person. All the people I know personally who didn't get it are Democrats. And then we look at the data of like under 40 Democrats, and they're the biggest single group who's not getting the vaccine. So the question really is, are you not scaring the shit out of them enough to go get it? Or are they just not believe you anymore? You um, do something in what you were saying that's so important that is um, a definite possibility, but I think a lot of people might not realize it's a possibility, and that is identifying there's something out there and there's a risk. You know, early on, I took all the precautions. I, you know, we were sequestered. Mm -hmm. um, I, I did everything. I was I was told to do. I made my kids do everything that the system said was was the safest thing, right? Um, you start realizing how much you're being lied to, and you start changing what your your perception is of of the what the actual risk might be. And some of that goes back to the Imperial College and the and their models that were showing these these huge numbers. Um, those ended up being not just wrong, but like so woefully wrong. I mean, those, those algorithms that they were using were shit. I mean, yeah. when, when they actually open up the code for, for, um, coders to come in and look at it, they're like, dude, you're putting in different inputs, right? Or no, no, I'm sorry. Put in the same input, right? You should have the same output. Yeah. That wasn't even happening with, with the models that were being set up by the Imperial college and Neil Ferguson. I mean, so you start realizing that, that, um, that there's all of this crap that's happening, but what the media does is they take the craziest sounding shit and they use that to like scare people to even critically think or ask questions, right? And so now you can't have this like reasoned, well, yeah, there's something out there. Maybe it's gain of function from the Wuhan lab, right? Yeah. Um, and we should probably be cautious. But if you're a young person, it seems like the, the data is showing that you face less of a risk and maybe you continue living your life and we don't necessarily quarantine healthy people. And, you know, so much of what has to be explained is like conditional stuff because every, you know, in a traditional thing, it's like, oh, I got the flu. Okay, I'm going to have the flu. So that's all I get the flu shot so that I don't get the flu. Well, these are, okay, we have different classifications of vaccines and they do different things. Uh, and some of them you have to get two shots and another one you have to get one shot. It's like, or a booster. Well, well, I mean, that's the other thing. Like, how are they going to prove that now? Are you supposed to have a card on you at all times? What, what would be considered vaccinated? A year from now, what will they consider vaccinated? Two shots in the past 12 months? So three it, shots in the past it's really simple. months? It's, like, it's really simple what we're talking about because I have kids and it, I reduce things um, in trying to raise my little rugrats as they drive me fucking insane. You know, like the boy who cried wolf created a problem for himself. Yeah. Why did that happen child that I'm trying to, you know, give you a life lesson? Well, because, um, he made up a, a story or he embellished a story to get a reaction, you know? And when you tell okay. kids these days, and, what do you tell them about the government? Like, what do you tell them about? <laughs> well, you know, your teacher doesn't want to teach you because you might get her sick. So if you wear this mat, like I, I, well, it's it's the same. How can you teach a kid anything about the government right now, which will actually like be completely true? Here's what I can teach my kids. Here's what I can teach my kids. I can say, hey, children, um, they're going to be talking about critical race theory because it's really important for the people at the financial tippy top um, to make us all fight on the lines of race and not think of socioeconomic um, realities. And the way that that plays out is that you get nonprofits that are supposed to care about black people, um, but they actually care more about a broken window in Kalispell because there was a flag in it. Um, when it comes to an actual um, black human being who's fucking dead um, at the place that daddy used to work, well, kids, um, there's less interest in that, actually, because it plays into some financial disincentives to care about that, that situation. Um, and so 
that's the reality. Also, don't go to college. It's a fucking scam. University of Montana can suck my cock. Yeah, don't tell your teacher that you like singing or sports because they might get you to chop your titties or your dick off or put you on hormones for it. I was having a discussion with this about actually online um, in one of the lesbian forums because uh, there's a lot of older lesbians who are like, uh, all my ex-girlfriends have transitioned into men at this point. It's like these lesbian communities are shrinking because so many of the like women have just got it in their head that no, they're not actually just women who prefer, you know, the company or sex of other women. They're closet men. They have a men brain and they need to go. And it was profoundly sad to me because I actually participated and I was like, I, I don't know what the solution to this is either. I don't know what I would do. There's a really good example of, uh, let's, let's say, you know, you have this list, everything the Democrats care about, everything the Republicans care about. And you say, if you're for gay rights, you're a Democrat. And therefore everything else Democrats say they care about, you got to care about that too. And one of them is abortion. Right. Abortion is very personal to me because, uh, if you look at, you know, for instance, I have, a mentally challenged people in my family. We are a lot in social services. We've done a lot of adoptions and there's a lot of Christians in my family. So I have, I've grown up with like cousins who are like 30, 40 years old who are mentally challenged. But if you go to like Europe or other parts of the country, they will check you while you're pregnant and see if you might have a Down syndrome baby or someone with uh, some sort of defect. And they abort the babies, okay? So what happens as a gay person the first day that we can tell you're gonna have a gay kid? would we allow a person to potentially abort their child because it might be gay? This is all completely within the purview of current technology and current like moral philosophy as far as abortion is concerned. A woman can abort a baby for any reason she wants and some very proudly have done it just because it had male genitalia and male are so evil we shouldn't bring any more into the world. How do you as a gay person because this is, this is what I thought early on. How do I, if I want gay people to exist and I want them to be sort of this vibrant tapestry of humanity of people of different types and, and colors, etc., cetera, uh, why would I support policy which allows the extinction of gay people? And this is what I look at with the transgender issue. I do understand their well-meaning and trying to minimize discomfort of trans people, but what if inadvertently they are erasing lesbians, erasing gay men, and and you can't tell them that they're doing it because they don't see it that way. It, well, when you when you take it outside of the the um the sort of the alphabet you know concern, which is you know, very legitimate. I mean, what what you're what you're pointing to is the lack of an ethical conversation about scientific innovation. Yeah. Um, some of these conversations have been happening. So you you look at like um uh what's the depression uh, manic depression right. If you can solve manic depression, that'd be good, right? Well, how many artists back in the day had manic depression and some of the the art that was created that we go back to and think about, oh, that's really amazing reflection of the human experience, right? That's teaching us something about humanity. Well, if you just take that out of the equation, um, schizophrenia, you know, maybe the West isn't set up to actually deal with some level of essential schizophrenia that indigenous cultures recognized as, oh, you need to be the shaman and eating yeah. those plants that make you go out into the woods for two weeks and then come back and tell us, like, you know, the, the visions you've had. Um, and so because yeah, what we- happens to society when you don't value because their two spirit is one of the things in the gay, in the Native American community. They just recognize that those people are, you know, they have special roles in our society. Everyone contributes in some way. Um, but, but in a modern society, we don't have that. We just have people who are mentally ill who get to live on the street. To wrap, to, to wrap this up, um, I'm going to bring it full circle now because I just had a thought pop in my head. Um, so as we were driving around on a road trip, one of the things we do is listen to podcasts, 
you know, because it's a kick-ass thing to do and there's this supernatural podcast that's touching on all these cool stories. And some of them I know, like the history of like, oh, Montauk Project, kids, do you want to know what I know? And they're like, no, daddy, you scare us. And I'm like, <laughs> um, <laughs> but one of the one of the the podcasts was this guy in the 20s that like goes into a coma and wakes up in the body of someone in like the year 3000, right? Mm -hmm. And he doesn't tell anyone about this because he comes back to his own body eventually and writes in his diary, but eventually um, gives his diary away to someone to help him in the translation efforts. You know, he's like a fr friend of the family or something. And this guy is translating the diary and realizes it's a really crazy, cool story. And this guy apparently goes to this future where um, it's just this amazing uh, future environment where spirituality is the, is the primary focus on development. You work a couple years as a young person and then have the rest of your life to just develop your, your spirituality. Um, he goes to this like crystal rose in the Mediterranean. I think he was in, in Europe, but um, just has this amazing experience and then comes back to his body and realizes this current time is kind of shit. But um, just, the, I mean, the idea of, of where uh, evolution can go if you start start um, looking for synchronicities that have some kind of meaning. And now, cause synchronicities are, are what I'm following in my own personal life and it's leading me to very interesting places. And while we were traveling, we listened to something on Percy Fawcett. Mm -hmm. Percy Fawcett is this uh, amazing British guy who was well-known for being one of the best surveyors. And then he got all excited about the golden city of El Dorado in South America and uh, ended up disappearing, you know, just disappearing without a trace and no one's ever heard from him since. And um, it was a really interesting story. And, and the, the house we were staying at in Washington had a book all about Percy Fawcett. And so those oh, wow. kind of, those kind of synchronicities where you're just like, that's so weird. Um, I think there is meaning. The universe has a way of, of showing you things. If you're more open to non-materialistic ways of thinking um, I mean, there's magic involved in, in a lot of stuff and, and magic is just something that you don't understand the dynamics of, right? Um, back in the day, the priestess or the priest, if they could, like, you know, say, hey, there's going to be a, an eclipse, you know, this thing in the sky is going to like, and if you could like know when that was happening, that's some strong magic didn't for the people that? that had what, no clue. Columbus or the Spanish come over and do that to the, they're like in three days. If you don't come and like show your fealty to me, then I will make the blood, yeah. the moon turn. They, they were gaslighting the, the indigenous cultures from the get go. Can I ramp one more thing yes, about medicine? For uh, sure. Cause this, this really does hit home for me. Okay. Cause I, we had an AIDS crisis in you know the world and the country on the eighties and nineties. And a lot of like gay men who would be here right now and be like older and, and a part of that gay community mentoring the younger, now. yeah, mentoring the younger generation. Yeah, and, and so I had the benefit of, of having older gay men sort of like help me along and sort of teach me stuff and just sort of be in my life to be like examples. It's okay to live just like as a normal gay person. And so it really strikes home to me when, you know, we, what, you know what the solution to that ended up being? So I, there's sort of big issues in the gay community, especially coming out of the 90s and early 2000s about people using condoms. We need don't need to have HIV. We don't want this anymore. And then eventually they come to Truvada. And what Truvada is is a pill to treat HIV. It actually kills uh, that virus down to like untransmissible percentages in your body. But you always have to keep taking this pill. And right. it costs $2,000 a month to keep taking this pill. And this is something if you're a sexually active gay man, they tell you you can have any sex you want. You just need to keep taking this $2,000 
dollar a month pill. It's this like that's like permanent. rent. That's 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 expensive, man. Well, where do you think we are at the trans thing now? You don't get to stop doing hormones if you want. You're perfectly willing, and they sell this to people as a solution of, like, you're trans, and you need to live as a trans person for the rest of your life. And so you have to be on these uh, hormones, keep injecting yourself or taking the pills or whatever you have to do to present yourself as trans from now until you're dead, okay? How do we keep coming to these issues where, you know, whether it's uh, ADD in the 90s with Ritalin and Prozac or, or Truvada and the gay male community or the trans community have them perfectly on hormones. We can make your life perfect. All you have to do is sign up for some several thousand dollar a month treatment plan. And it's just like I saw this happen with gay men in the late 90s and early 2000s and see what's happening now. And it seems like the same thing is happening again, just with a different sort of medical procedure. Well, and 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 I'll, I'll kind of piggyback on that um, quickly to say that um, in a in a similar vein, you know, I am going against what society is telling me to do in some ways um, by abstaining from alcohol. So I uh, marked my full calendar year of not taking one sip of the booze. Um, July fifth was the the day that I was able to mark that. And I think back on this on this year, I look at my nails. My nail fungus is getting better. Um, I don't have blood in my stool, which is nice. You know, when you're taking a shit and you see some red drops of blood um, coming from your asshole, that's not fun. Um, I've lost 50 pounds. Um, a lot of my digestive stuff has, has been um, improved. My sleeping has improved. Um, my concern that I had sleep apnea. Um, because my, I, I don't even sleep in the same bed often with my wife because and maybe that's too much personal information. She's like, don't say that. Um, but my, my snoring was so loud. I mean, sleep, when you have kids, you need to get sleep and sleep's yeah. very important. So, um, but my snoring is, is so much better, you know, all of these better health things because I finally recognized self-medicating with alcohol was something that was, um, as I'm getting older, I'm, I'm 43 or 42, almost 43. You know, I'm like, okay, I really need to not do this particular thing and see what the impacts are. Wow, you know, and, and how many people in this past year and a half have gone to dark places of self-medicating um, because it's a scary world we now live in. I, I always remember this video early in the pandemic where this like joggers just like walking down a street, looking at the, the receptacle, the trash receptacles, or they, I think they recycle glass. And he's just looking at all the booze bottles, you know, piling up in the container. Um, what are you well, I want to say congratulations, Travis, because that well, is actually you. a pretty good accomplishment. Um, my computer is popping up something for no reason. Uh, which is it's what's saying, distracting you, but it's saying that nothing got recorded. No, but I mean, doesn't that a really good distillation of what we just always talk about is you can live as like a healthy, like conscious human being, but you're not going to make anyone any fucking money. But if you want to live with the blinders on sick, unhealthy and believe anything people want to make money off, you tell you, you will be a very profitable little piece of cattle well, and, to and, this world. And dependent on people that really come off as sociopaths, the harder they're trying to push their money-making solution to, to the global health crisis, you know, it, it's more and more seeming like vampires, right? Trying to um, to make their uh, their their little you know solution like, no, no, it's it's cool, just just come in here. We're gonna like have songs and dances, and and they give out free alcohol, they give out free like all this free stuff to try and create more incentives. It's like okay. Now, now I know you give zero shits about health. This is more about money making. And the harder they push this shit, the more likely I am to 
entertain wilder conspiracy theories, yeah. you know, because it's just, it's just like, chill out. Okay. I'm, well, I'm doing okay right now. With I mean, my this is one thing I've been concerned about as a conservative and no one seems to give a shit is how much this is targeting children. Yeah. Do you know what Twitch is? The oh, video streaming yeah, Okay. I've, I've heard of it. So I'm, I'm a gamer. I like to watch games. I like to be involved in games. I play yeah. like League of Legends and other games. And I've been really surprised at how much the alcohol lobby has come into this space because really? there's no regulation yet. So oh, you inter watch interesting. And like Twitch, which is owned by Amazon and Jeff Bezos, who's going to space in a couple of days. They have Miller Lite ads on these platforms, which are explicitly geared towards children. When I watch League of Legends, which is the game I play, I'm sorry, anyone else who plays it, uh, it's awful and toxic, but every time they like score a thing, they're like, it's the Bud Light Ace. And I'm like, these are like 15 year old Asian kids. Whoa, Why are really? you advertising Bud Light and Miller Light? Why is all this in it? Because interesting. You know, it makes someone money and who cares? Who cares if kids get in their head how fucking cool it is to drink? You know, whatever. I, I know I sound like fucking Tipper Gore right now, but please, you can't sit here and tell me that if you're going to say you can't have an alcohol ad on TV or, or in certain places, that it should be in the one place that most kids are spending almost all their time. But 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 that is the reality, and and that is the reality <clears throat> from the from the national and to the local end, um, because the 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 downtown association, the Missoula Downtown Association, is now the the downtown partnership. When I was a, a member of the Downtown Advisory Commission, so that was a mayor-appointed commission um, tasked with talking about some of the issues facing the downtown core, I had it, I think it was Dan Cedarberg or someone admitted that they did not have a strong financial foundation for this, this downtown organization until they started um, sponsoring alcohol events, right? That's what started making them money. Yeah. Um, and when we talk about the rape scandal, okay, alcohol fuels bad decisions. Um, of course, when I am not drinking alcohol, I can safely operate a motor vehicle. So when I'm walking around at like one o'clock in the morning that Saturday of the all the pride stuff that was going on, um, I ended up giving a ride home. I think I mentioned this. You did talk about um, it. But, but that, that was a situation set up because this person could not be safe in a car. Um, and if I was not a safe person, that's an opportunity to, to you know, that could be exploited. Um, if she did choose to drive home, that's an unsafe situation. And so, I mean, my perspective has changed a lot in the last year when, when alcohol is not something that I'm sort of like relying on to, you know, wind down at the end of the night. And then all of a sudden that box of wine is really light. Oh, shit. How did that happen? Um, but thank you for for um, for giving me a little rah rah sisboombah because yeah it's... we should probably wrap up. <laughs> I know right. Well, especially well, it's good to catch up. We haven't talked for a couple of weeks, so I, I'm sure a lot more has happened. We've experienced I... more of life and more is going on locally. We we needed to to spend a lot of time um, catching up and and going through all this stuff. And I'm actually really happy that we were able to go through the outline and add additional perspective because it's a good time chatting with you and people that are listening. I think will not only get informed, but we'll do so in a way that shows that we are grappling with this information. We don't have all the answers, but yeah, we have some good stuff coming up. I think we have some interviews we want to go get yes. recorded here before the end of the month. As I said, I have some data projects, which I'd like to inform other stuff. You know, we may want to get involved. And I get think some I had a candidate that was just texting me too. also my wife. So, okay, we are wrapping up. You've been um, listening to an episode of zoom town. Tim Adams is on the other side of the table here in downtown Missoula. And I'm your host, Travis Matier. Uh, we put these out on Tuesdays. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach me at Will Skink. That's W-I-L-L-S-K-I-N-K at yahoo.com. Um, and I'll try and include more like links and notes yeah, as we and post I, this stuff. And I do have a Twitter. It's T Adams MT. I think what's your just Will Skink? 
Mad Poet 19, okay. Will Skink. Yeah. Technology. Yeah, if you want to go into the cesspool of social media, I don't recommend it, but you know, it's there if you want to interact with us. Yeah, as long as you're willing to take a shower afterwards. Yeah. Um, so hit us up if you want to. Otherwise, just tune in next week. Talk to you later.